الجزيرة بودكاست For more than two years, China has built some of the strongest restrictions aimed at preventing the spread of COVID. Just as recently as October, Chinese leaders were touting it as a signature achievement to keep 1.4 billion people safe. On Wednesday, the bubble officially burst. A major reversal overnight in China. So the government there announced it's rolling back COVID restrictions and lockdowns. Quarantining at home, a major reduction in mandatory testing, and an end to mass lockdowns over a few cases. After protests in more than 20 cities last month, people had shown that they were done with zero COVID. But are they ready for what comes next? I'm Hala Mohideen, and this is The Take. Hi, I'm Katrina Yu. I am the China correspondent for Al Jazeera. I'm based in Beijing, and I've been living in this city for almost 10 years now. Golly, 10 years. Wowzers. Mm, yeah. And it's changed a lot, hasn't it, in 10 years? I was in Beijing for six and a half years, and in that time, it was a completely different city. I guess the China from even three years ago is very different to the China that you're living in now. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that a bit more. How are people feeling now that COVID restrictions are being loosened? I think the biggest thing is that people were shocked to hear of these changes being announced so quickly and seemingly so suddenly and certainly so soon after we had these string of protests take place. There is a measure of excitement and relief, but I think there's also a lot of confusion around how quickly these steps will actually be implemented on the ground and also anxiety. The actual changes that are happening are significant. One of the biggest is that people who do get COVID will be able to quarantine at home, which hasn't been the case until now. Lockdowns are meant to have clear timelines and be closely targeted. People also won't have to scan a QR code to go to large places like shopping centres and office buildings or to use public transport. So these are all very promising things, but in Beijing at least, and in many other parts of the country, you will still need to do a COVID test, which is negative in the most recent 48 hours in order to enter a hospital, childcare center, a school, a restaurant, entertainment venues, or gyms. So basically, in order to live a normal life, you still need to line up for COVID tests pretty regularly. If anything, these inconveniences have now been replaced with the need to think about how to best protect ourselves from COVID or how to best deal with COVID should we actually get it. Three years of heavy controls have left most of the population with low immunity and little experience with COVID. To understand what led to these restrictions being loosened, it's worth a look at the protests back in November. In Shanghai, the country's biggest city, police arrested protesters, dragging them away. Barricades now line the streets where hundreds of people had gathered before. In the capital, protesters sang while holding up blank pieces of paper 
a symbolic protest against censorship. I asked Katrina to explain. Now, last month, China saw some unprecedented anti-lockdown protests. Can you just remind us what set them off? There has been this very quiet, simmering discontent over China's zero-COVID policies, kind of brewing for some time. But I think what really pushed everyone over the edge was a fire that we saw take place in the capital of Xinjiang province in Urumqi. A blaze basically broke out on the 15th floor of this apartment building, apparently due to an electrical socket. Video has emerged on social media that appears to show firefighters being delayed because of those very same lockdown measures. Ten people died, nine people at least were injured. An entire week of family died, including a child as young as four years old. That really pushed people to a breaking point. Those who died in the fire likely spent their last three months largely confined to that building, if not entirely. What happened during the Urumqi fire is that it demonstrated that you might possibly not be able to control your ability to save your own life. Mm. It was a nightmare scenario. And seeing that really resonated with people around the country. It's a view that shifted drastically from when China's lack of COVID deaths due to zero COVID policies were a point of pride, Katrina says. The view from inside China, at least, was that China had its stuff together, whereas the rest of the world was chaos and people were dying by the order of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Whereas in China, the state media narrative was like, we are following the directives of the government and we're staying safe. But now... In 2022, I don't know if I know anybody in China who has not experienced lockdown themselves or the effects of lockdown. Now all that is beginning to change. What's also changing is how the Chinese government describes the virus. Last week, there was an important statement from China's vice premier, Sun Chunlan. Sun Chunlan is China's most powerful woman, and she's kind of known as the disaster czar. Like if Sun Chunlan comes to your city because there's an outbreak, you can expect that your city will be locked down right. very shortly after. And she said that China had entered a new situation. And basically she said that the virus was less deadly, huh. which it was different to everything we had heard up until that point. And since then, there have been several health officials from all over China, as well as state media, really pushing this message. Top officials in state media are now softening their tone on the severity of the virus, bringing the message more in line with what other countries have been saying for more than a year. The goal seems to be to try to ease any anxiety should people actually catch COVID, because now it's actually possible to catch COVID. Hello, like, For the past three years, I hadn't known anybody who actually caught COVID. And so this is a huge signal that the Chinese government is preparing to at least, to some extent, dismantle this COVID zero system. So how are people responding to that about face in, in messaging? One is that there is a measure of relief. There's that excitement. But what I'm also sensing here is there's a lot of nervousness as well. I guess in other Western countries, as soon as Regulations are eased, people are out in the streets, but I went out in the streets to actually get a COVID test and it's still deadly quiet. Huh, that's interesting. 
mean, people have been afraid of it for three years. They can't just change a mindset overnight. I do have to say there seems to be a big contrast between how media reporting this easing of COVID-0 overseas to what it's like on the ground. Right. The way that easing is happening across the country is extremely patchy. And if anything, rather than excitement or things being straightforward, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos right now. My life doesn't feel different from where I'm sitting today. I still had to spend half an hour of my day lining up in the cold to get a COVID test where I could or may not get exposed to the virus. I'm still, you know, at home. My husband is still working from home. The streets are still quiet. Most businesses are still closed. So I think, if anything, this is going to be a very slow and gradual process. I'm almost getting like a very mild form of PTSD having this conversation because it's <laughs> throwing me back to how it was sort of two years ago. Or, mm. you know, it must feel like that in China. You've figured out what the rules are. You're living within these rules. And then now the carpet's getting pulled from out from under you and you're having to readjust to that. Yeah, you know, seeing is believing. We have this rhetoric, but the way it's going to be unrolled on the ground and the way it's going to have a positive impact in our lives and the lives of people who live in China, they're going to have to you know, experience it. And just on the point that you made that it feels for you like what you experienced in 2020, a lot of that sentiment behind the protests that erupted was why are we living under these conditions when the rest of the world has moved on? Yeah, And actually the, the World Cup that's taking place in Qatar right now, that had something to do with it too because you have huge amounts of football fans here in China and what they're seeing on their TV screens is phenomenally different from what is reflected here in China. They're seeing packed stadiums, people without masks and here, you know, there's no, nowhere to go. There's no pub or any public space to watch a football game. You're at home watching this in, you know, either imposed isolation or self-isolation. And people are asking those questions. Do we not live on the same planet as the people attending the World Cup? And it really added to that anger. And actually, to the extent that CCTV started not to censor matches, but they would simply no longer show shots of people close up not wearing masks. They would edit out those shots and replace them with wide shots of crowds. That's crazy. For me, that's one of the best bits of the football match, just seeing who's got the best costume in the crowd. But that, that is incredible that that's having that kind of impact. You have to remember that the Communist Party, above all, it needs social stability. Social stability is one of its main goals and it can't function without it. And it recognises that people are genuinely upset. A lot of the focus in the story of China's loosening COVID restrictions has been on protests. But Katrina says it's much more than that. This COVID zero policy has had a devastating effect on the economy. And there is no doubt in my mind that the Chinese government and Xi Jinping has that in his mind when he's also thinking about easing. I don't think we can fool ourselves into thinking, oh, it's just these protests which have prompted these huge change. Certainly that's a part of it, but also the Chinese government is seeing that They've basically strangled the Chinese economy with these COVID zero policies. COVID has battered China's economy and supply chains. So many businesses are closing. You see youth unemployment at 20%. Things are really grim when it comes to people's ability to achieve economic prosperity, a promise that the Communist Party has made 
to the people. We have to remember that there is this tacit unspoken agreement that, yes, you may not have certain civil liberties, but we will give you the ability to improve your economic situation. And that is not happening now. After the break, we talk about what's next for China. Since the COVID zero policy has been in place for so long, it's not yet clear how the health system will cope. In this week's episode of Essential Middle East Podcast, find out what's behind China's growing interest in the Middle East. So, Katrina, we are already looking at increased exposures. How prepared is China's health system for the increased case numbers and the increased strain on the healthcare system? This is the kind of problem that China has kind of backed itself into a corner because, of course, by essentially putting a big bubble around the country, they've prevented people from gaining any sort of meaningful immunity to the virus. One of their big concerns is that the vaccination drive has not worked as effectively as they would like, especially with the elderly population. Only about 65% of people over 80 have been vaccinated. Part of that comes from the way in which China managed its vaccination campaign. Zero COVID bought time, but China didn't use it well. Instead of using it to vaccinate, to improve its medical system, it poured vast resources into testing like this and into lockdowns. Unlike in other parts of the world, China focused first on the people needed to keep the economy going. Drivers, the logistics people, central services workers, they were at the front of the queue. The elderly people were not at the front of the queue. Now they have a problem and they have the most vulnerable people, the people who are most likely to die should they catch the coronavirus. Not enough of them are, are vaccinated or have received booster shots. And there has been a huge acknowledgement by the government. At the same time that they've released all this news about easing, they have also said that they need to really focus and they are going to focus on vaccination. And the vaccinations that the people are getting in China, they're, they're very distinct. You guys aren't getting the, the Pfizer or Moderna, the mRNA vaccines that certainly have been rolled out quite widely elsewhere in the world. That's right. The majority of people in China have access to two types of vaccines. Sinopharm and Sinovac, which are both inactivated traditional vaccines. Mm. And they have been shown to be less efficacious than other vaccines, which is kind of part of the problem. China's top disease control official has said the efficacy of the country's COVID vaccines is low. The vaccination drive here also has a PR problem because many people are aware that they're less effective than mRNA vaccines. And also before that, People thought, oh, I'm not going to get COVID anyway. Mm. I mean, it's it's just as likely that I'll be struck by lightning and I'll get COVID, so I'm not going to get a vaccine. And so you've got this huge backlog of people who are unvaccinated, basically, in addition to the scepticism about the effectiveness of the vaccines. Is the Chinese health system able to cope with an influx of, uh, of people potentially needing hospitalization because of this virus? You know, I think that's the question now on everyone's mind. That's the source of nervousness that people are feeling. Right. 
is this real? The government is going to allow outbreaks to spread people to get the virus. Mm. That's what people were demanding. But what is that going to look like now that we're going into freezing winter temperatures? How is the health system going to cope with that? And in fact, it could be very rocky. It could be very grim if we see the numbers go up and if we see the death toll rise. To what extent can the Chinese health system, which is quite fragile, to what extent can it manage? This is why I'm thinking that this zero COVID policy is not going to be a direct path. It's going to be a very rocky, topsy-turvy, twisted one. Right. What would you say the feeling is from people in China in general on the risks of an end to to COVID zero? I mean, are the public prepared to, to let this policy go as well? I think people are shocked that this opening up is happening at a time when there are still thousands of cases being announced every day. And while people are relieved, I think they're now worried because they haven't been given time to really prepare for the reality of possibly catching COVID. People are now stocking up on masks, on medicines, and even though places are opening back up, they're not full of people. People are still being careful, they're still avoiding crowded places and thinking about what it means for them and their family should they actually get COVID and they actually get sick. Katrina also said, despite the protests, it doesn't mean that people don't also have fears about the beginning of a new normal. I just assumed that everybody would be wishing for the end of this and looking forward to it. But actually, the more I spoke to people on the ground... There were many people actually afraid. People are afraid of what should happen to China should they just open up the borders and allow people to come in without these strict controls. And there was actually a poll in the days following this easing asking members of the Chinese public if they would travel as soon as possible. And actually, a significant number said no, that they're still afraid of catching COVID. I really admire how much the Chinese people have gone through. I mean, there is a mindset of doing their duty and doing this because they believe that this is the best thing, that the government does have their best interests in mind and this is safer for everyone in the community. And I admire the people who have gone through all those things without complaint. But even now, now at this point in time, because of everything that's happening around the country and around the world, people are saying enough is enough. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Ruby Zaman, Chloe K. Lee, Ashish Malhotra, Amy Walters, Nagin Oliay, and me, Halamahid Dean. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El-Malek and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back on Monday. <laughs> 